Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beat Midrash. This year, each week, we will hear a Devar Torah on the Parsha from Rabbi David Kasher. Let's listen. Our practice of cycling through the Torah over and over again, year after year, creates a unique reading experience. After we've been through enough times, we begin to hear echoes not only from what has come before, but from what will come after. Here in this first chapter of Abraham's story, those echoes are particularly loud. We hear them not only in recurring images and themes, but also in familiar words and phrases that seem to be laid out here and there, like little clues prompting us to follow along. Abraham gets the famous call from God, Lech Lecha, go forth, and as soon as he begins to move, we get the distinct feeling he's mapping out the future with every step. He goes first to the land of Canaan, where we are told, Haknani Azba'aretz, the Canaanite was then in the land. This seems like an unnecessary aside, but we note that hundreds of years later in the Torah's narrative, God will announce to Moses that the people of Israel will be delivered from their suffering and taken to a land flowing with milk and honey, and will use the same term to identify that land, Makom Haknani, the place of the Canaanite. If that were the only link between past and future, perhaps we would not be too surprised. It is, after all, the fulfillment of a prophecy. The very next verse in Genesis makes clear God's intention to give this land to Abraham's offspring, the Zaracha Eten Eta'aretz Hazot. The message in Exodus, then, simply comes to make good on that promise. But the parallels between Abraham's earliest movements and the events of the future soon become much more specific. So when we read, just a few verses later, Vayerid Avram Mitzrayma, Avram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was heavy upon the land, ki kaved harav ba'aretz. We will remember that another famine in the same region will later compel Jacob's sons to take the same journey, because, Jacob says, yeshever b'mitzrayim, redu shama. There is sustenance in Egypt, so go down there. Lest we miss that parallel movement, we're then given a description of the crisis in Jacob's time that matches almost exactly the one from our parsha. Veharav kaved ba'aretz. The famine was heavy upon the land. Indeed, these are the only two famines in Tanakh described as heavy, kaved. Now we're starting to pay more attention, actively looking out for more clues. And indeed, once Abraham is in Egypt, the parallels with future storylines continue. When Avram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw how very beautiful Sarai was. They praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into the house of Pharaoh. Just as Joseph, whose sojourn in Egypt is the first step in the descent of the rest of the children of Israel, also becomes an object of sexual desire as soon as he arrives, and is also described as beautiful of form and beautiful of appearance. Yefetor v'yefemare. Soon after we read, V'yikach Adonai Yosefoto v'yitnehu el Beit HaSohar. Joseph's master took him and brought him to the prison house in the dungeon of one of Pharaoh's ministers. 
When he too is eventually praised to Pharaoh, he is taken once again, this time directly to Pharaoh himself. Stories from the future and the past are beginning to stack on top of one another. But the next plot point brings the most striking parallel of all. Vainaga Hashem et paro nigaim gdolim. But the Eternal plagued Pharaoh and his household with great plagues on account of Sarai, the wife of Avram. Plagues afflicting Pharaoh's house. Such a description takes our minds directly to the ten plagues that will be unleashed upon Egypt in order to liberate the Israelites, concluding with one that afflicts Pharaoh's own household and uses the same language. Od echad avi al One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh. The prefiguring of future events here is undeniable. Yet we can no longer attribute the repetition to the fulfillment of prophecy, for there's no overt indication here in the first plagues that they will ever appear again. That, again, is something we would only know from prior read-throughs. Having tracked the parallel storylines thus far, we're primed to pick up on a few last little echoes. In response to the plagues in Abraham's day, the last verse of the chapter tells us that Pharaoh put agents in charge of him, and they sent him off, Vaishalchuoto, with his wife and all that he possessed. Just as the Pharaoh in Exodus will eventually relent and send out all of the Israelites, Bishalach Paroataam, with all that they possess, take also your flocks and also your herds. Abraham even leaves, we are told two verses later, Kaved me'od b'mikne b'kesef uvazav, weighed down by riches in cattle, silver, and gold. Just as the Israelites left Egypt with riches, klei kesef u'kleizahav, vessels of silver and vessels of gold. All these repetitions of language and storyline amount to more than just foreshadowing. This one section is so dense with portents of what is to come, it's as if we're already being given, here in the first moments we meet Abraham, a blueprint of the entire arc of the history that will follow him. The masterful 14th century Torah commentary of Rabbi Moses Nachmanides, the Ramban, provides a theological framework for this narrative device. Omer l'chaklal, I will tell you a general principle that you must understand throughout all the upcoming stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a great concept that our rabbis articulated in brief language. They said, in Midrash Tanchuma, Kol ma la'avot siman labanim. Everything that happens to the parents is a sign for the children. So, when the Torah goes on and on with the stories of the journeys they took, or the wells they dug, or other events in their lives— one might think these are unnecessary details which have no purpose. But all of them are meant to teach about the future. For when something happens to a prophet, one of the three forefathers, he should understand from it that something has been decreed upon his offspring. The Ramban's central assertion is borrowed from an earlier Midrash, as he notes, but his articulation of it became so well known that it formed a traditional saying, Maseavot Siman Lebanim. The action of the parents is a sign for the children. But what does he mean by sign? And who's supposed to be reading these signs? The Ramban's phrasing indicates two potential sign readers. The first is Abraham himself. 
Listen to the third-person subject of his last sentence. When something happens to a prophet, he should understand from it that something has been decreed upon his offspring. So Abraham is meant to understand, based on what is happening to him, something about what will one day happen to his descendants. The language of decreed means that the sign metaphysically fixes the future in place. Abraham knows that God will cause his descendants to replay the patterns his life's journey has created, and therefore he can rest assured that they will one day inherit the land that he is walking. That's how a prophet reads signs. But the other sign reader the Ramban has in mind is us. He speaks to us directly. I will tell you a principle you must understand. And when he says, one might think these are unnecessary details, we are clearly the ones who might make that mistake and need to be told otherwise. The Ramban is trying to teach us something about how to read the Torah. We ought to be on the lookout for repetition and parallelism in this text. We should expect images and themes to recur from Genesis to Exodus, not just because we've read the Torah before and can remember what's coming next, but because there are signs posted all along the way, pointing us forward. We will certainly hear echoes once we arrive at the later books of the Torah, for they'll be deliberately replaying images and repeating language from Genesis. But here in Genesis, we can already hear the echoes of the future, because the text is anticipating what is to come. The lines of reference, in other words, stretch in both directions. The past and the future are interwoven. They cascade into one another. The theological and the literary aspects of the Torah are working in tandem. The prophets are given signs so that they know what will happen to their descendants. When we, their descendants, learn to read those same signs recorded in Genesis, the language of the Torah grants us some access to the prophetic experience. We can already begin to see signs of our own covenantal destiny waiting for us in the future. This convergence of Abraham's sign reading and our own, at first only subtly suggested with parallel words and images, becomes explicit later in our Parsha. This time, Abraham asks God directly for a sign some assurance that his family will retain possession of this land. With what will I know that I will inherit it? God has him prepare a ritual made up of various sacrifices, puts him into a kind of sleeping trance, and then delivers the words that form the covenant of Abraham that we have inherited. God said to Avram, Know well that your offspring shall be strangers in a land not their own, and they shall be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. And I will also judge the nation that enslaves them, and afterwards they will go out from there with great wealth. Abraham now has his assurance, a promise of what is to come. But so can we, reading along, See the coming years of slavery and oppression, avdut ve'inui. We might feel, along with our forefather, the dark dread, that emah ha that descended upon him that day. But then we see in the next verse, the language of the Exodus, yetsu, they will go out. And we have our own assurance that whatever suffering we are destined to endure as a people, one day we will be free. 
Thanks for listening. I wanted to let you know that I'm teaching an online Parsha class every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, in partnership with Ikar. Uh, we'll take a deeper dive into some aspect of the material we covered in this Devar Torah. So if you love these podcasts, it's a great way to keep the conversation going. Sign up for free at hadar.org forward slash west. Our producers for this episode are Sam Greenberg and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to Nadav Remez for editing this episode. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you. Thank you.